Hello, welcome to This Week in the Atlantic Coast Conference, the podcast for allsportsdiscussion.com. This is Jeff, one of your podcast co-hosts, and you can follow me on Twitter at TalkinACCSports. The podcast moderator is Matthew, and you can follow him at Smash underscore SD. I'm going to turn it over to Matthew now as he introduces our guest. Jeff, it looks like we're having a having a just a small technical difficulty. Would you mind posting the link in the uh, go in perhaps in the in the, either in the uh, Twitter DM or in the uh, in the uh, Google Doc? Looks like we're having a small uh, small 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 technical issue with the uh, with the Podbean invite. And that the, oh, and it looks like Terry Johnson has joined the room with us. Here he is. Welcome back to the All Sports Discussion ACC podcast, Terry Johnson. This is the longest-running independent ACC podcast in the United States, and you have been a great supporter of this podcast for several years, and we're excited to have you back on this podcast. You generally come on this podcast at the beginning of the year to, to assess what ACC football may may look like, and then you come on at the end of the year towards the holiday season, right after Thanksgiving, generally, to give us your assessment of the year that was and, and what and what we can look forward to in 2023. So we're we are just extremely excited to have you come back. You're a fellow airplane fan, fan like me, and. Man, I have a question for you. I mean, first, tell us all about yourself because I, I think it's important for our listeners to know know about you because you were a writer at one of the pretty much one of the most prolific college football writing sites on the internet for several years. The floor is yours, Terry. Welcome back. Well, thank you so much for having me. I always uh, love coming here and chatting with you. Yeah, you, you asked about my career. I've been um, extremely fortunate as a writer. I started at uh, College Football News in 2010, worked for uh, Pete Futek, a uh, great leader, worked for Rich Carmonello, one of the hardest working dudes you'll ever meet and one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Um, and then, of course, uh, Matt uh, Zemek, which I'm sure um, people that follow your podcast really know. Matt has been just a fantastic mentor, and he'll, he'll show you uh, – just kind of the ropes and what to do. But what I like best about him, and a lot of people knows about, but know this about Matt, <laughs> Matt can totally disagree with your idea and then show you how to make it better, um, and, and which, which is always funny because people people on Twitter always get a laugh out of that and like, you know, we, we look at you and Matt and you guys are so different politically. You guys are so different on everything and it's like, and yet you two guys get so well along. And I mean, I think that says, that speaks volumes about what kind of a leader and what kind of a guy he is and, um, you know, pretty much, pretty much uh, for your audience, you you guys already knew he was an awesome guy, but that was maybe one tidbit that you didn't know. Um, now, part of the reason I'm not writing as much right now is I coach uh, youth sports. I coach uh, soccer, football. Uh, this this fall, I did them both at the same time: uh, basketball, baseball, and wrestling. Just wherever wherever my boys need me. Uh, it, it, it's 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 so rewarding though to, to to be able to work with young kids and help them hit their potential and. Um, you know, just different things and tell them, be like, hey, you know what? I read about these guys. There's no reason that you guys can't do this one day as long as you work hard. Absolutely, sir. Absolutely. So before we get into the ACC football questions, which 
Jeff, we'll start with, I, I do have an opening, I have a couple of opening questions for you, Terry. First, sure. did you know that Mike London was a detective? Uh, yes. I, um, I bet if I went out to Twitter, I have about six people saying, uh-oh, a cop is coming. <laughs> okay. Second, Guns N' Roses' appetite for destruction or Def Leppard hysteria? Which one? Appetite for destruction. There's not a better song to get uh, to enter the field with than uh, Welcome to the Jungle. And I don't care what sport it is or what contest it is. Nothing will get you more amped up than that. Definitely. Okay. Jeff, buddy. All right. Thanks, Matthew. All right, Terry. Let's, let's look back at the uh, ACC regular season. Which ACC football team was the most disappointing in 2022? And which ACC team was the most impressive in 2022? Okay, well, as far as most disappointing, the, 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 the lowest hanging fruit there would be Miami. Uh, they, they, they were expected to dominate by all media outlets. Oh, Miami's back. We can't wait. It's the glory days. Name, image, and likeness. Yeah, that didn't happen. Um, I didn't fall into that trap because um, as good of a coach as Mario Cristobal is, he wasn't going to take the program from – you know, where it was last year up to the next level. I just, just not in one year. There's very, very few people that could do that. Um, so as far as disappointing, I, I'd have to say uh, Pittsburgh because, man, Pat Narduzzi talked an awful lot in the offseason about how great the ACC was, and I didn't feel like he backed it. I mean, my first thought was, hey, he's he's talking because he's going to back it up. Didn't work out that way. Um, but, I mean, that, that tells you how great of a coach he is if Pittsburgh goes 8-4 and four and I view them as a disappointment. Uh, Louisville would be another choice. Uh, you know, it's like they have a good coach. They have great players. Why aren't they winning? Why aren't they better? Why aren't they, you know, why aren't we back in Petrino land when, you know, they went 10 and one, 12 and one every year and, and, and put a scare in everybody. So those would all be disappointments. My, for me personally, Clemson. Um, I'm sorry. I keep hearing, yeah, they're going to break through. This is going to be the year. And I was disappointed because, and, uh, you know, I think Jeff and I shared a few messages about this on, on Twitter. Well, we got defenses that Brent Vanables ain't never seen before. Really? Where were they against South Carolina? I didn't see it. So, I mean, again, for Clemson, it was a disappointment. I really expected them to be a national championship contender. I expected for things to be different, but it goes back to the thing. Are you going to recruit from the transfer portal? Are you going to bring in big names from the outside to – to fix schemes that, that need working. That the answer we found to both was no, and Clemson paid the price for it. All right, and, and who did you have as your most impressive team? Uh, it's got to be Duke. I mean, yep. they, I, I, I tried so hard. I remember when we, you guys had mentioned the August uh, podcast. I tried as hard as I could to find something positive to say about Duke. It's like, well, maybe they'll be there one year. And it's like, we all know nobody gets more out of less than David Cutcliffe. So I wasn't expecting very much from Duke for, for Coach Elko to take him to eight and four and be, you know, there, there were times when they were playing their best football, they might have been the second team in the conference. So uh, I, can't, I can't say enough good things about them. All right, good stuff there. Um, Terry, who did you have as your ACC coach of the year? I think it's got to be Mike Elko. I mean, 
Mike Elko would be first. I'd say Dino Babers was second because there for a while, you know, Syracuse was playing very well in the year. And um, I, I can't remember who, who it was that was giving Matt Zemick a hard time. He said, you know what, we're just going to put Syracuse in the Big Ten uh, title game there because they beat Purdue, and that wasn't an easy task. But he's like, hey, they beat Purdue, and if Notre Dame is able to take a claim, then, hey, let's, let's stick them over there. So, um, like I say, Duke surpassed expectations. Syracuse, you know, you go from being on the hot seat to being one of the best teams over the first half of the season. Um, those would be the two that, that would impress me the most. Uh, all right. I think, Matthew, you, you've got something you want to add yeah, here? Uh, Terry, I thought those were both really good takes on Duke and, and Mike Elko. I mean, my, they were basically – correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff and, and Terry, but I think Duke was basically four points away – and I want to say a phantom interference call away. I'm sorry. I, re I still remember that phantom interference call in the USC Virginia Tech game here uh, several years ago in Redskins Stadium. So when I'm talking, I'm familiar with phantom interference calls. And uh, basically Duke is, a, is four points away from being in the IC ACC title game in Elko's first year. Am I correct on all counts? Well, I, I hate to go. Um, I, I hate to go NFL coach on you here, but I don't comment about officiating because the last time I did, the official literally called my mother who had just had a stroke and said, "I will tell your mother that you're up here arguing with officials." And the funniest part of that story is, it wasn't even anything I did. It was one of my assistant coaches that made some snarky thing, and the flag goes out there, and he goes, "That's a personal foul." On, Terry Johnson, I'm gonna call your mother. I was like, "What?" Fair enough. Four points. Oh but, man. But fair <laughs> enough. But he was. I mean, they, they were literally four. They they were literally four points away from being in the ACC championship game against Clemson in Elko's first year, which I think is is pretty amazing to go from where where they were to four points away from getting in the ACC championship game. I think that's just remarkable. I agree with you. The only time in uh, recent college football history I could think of something like that that was even similar was when um, Gary Pinkle left to go to Missouri and they elevated Tom Amstutz to head coach. And, you know, you're just kind of like, yeah, this is a defensive guy. What's he going to do? It's like, well, he brought in the spread and they scored, uh, you know, all – I want to say they scored like 40 points a game. They had like Chester Taylor, a bunch of NFL – type people but it was one of those is that nobody expected anything from Toledo that year and it was like not only were they you know they were better than they were the year before when they beat Penn State that's the only example I could think of where it was like hey we're bringing in a guy that's really relatively unknown as a head coach we don't know what he's going to do and then boom he made them better I mean again let's not forget coach Cutcliffe was one of the best out there to go and surpass what he did um you know I, I don't think people realize what an accomplishment that is All right, Terry. Um, as we move towards 2023, who do you have on the uh, ACC coaching hot seat? Well, I was going to say, uh, I, I always convinced Coach uh, Satterfield <laughs> was the guy. Um, I do feel like uh, Louisville's uh, upgraded, so that went well. Um, I'm going to be a little bit of a grumpy old man here. I'm going to say Dabo Swinney. It's like, okay, you, 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 you told everybody. I mean, Again, Clemson now, this has been two years where it's like they, they weren't even in the conversation for the national championship picture, and it looks really bad on Dabo now. 
you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but you look at what happened in the ACC title game. They had to have known DJ was not the guy. Why did you hold on so long? I mean, even Nick Saban, by God, Nick Saban, who, you know, according to most down here, is the greatest coach that ever lived, realized at half game time in the national championship game, he's like, look, I've got somebody better on the bench. I need to go to him right now because, you know, what, what good is it going to do? At the end, we, we, played cha- we played to win championships, and he did not make that. I mean, Clemson's going to be playing for the national championship. Possibly. We, we, we don't know. But, you know, to lose to Notre Dame, to lose to South Carolina, to know that you had weapons and things that you could turn to that you didn't. I mean, at some point, I mean, it's like I get, you know, I am a coach. I get the whole thing about, yeah, you want to save your weapons for the right time. But at some point in time, it's like <laughs> this ship is sinking. <laughs> I need to do something. And, and I think that's going to put them on the hot seat. Uh, just, you know, the reluctance to go outside and, and get – new coaches and new ideas and, and different things and the reluctance to hit the transfer portal. I mean, uh, USC and Oklahoma, let's just use them as examples. USC recruited heavily from Oklahoma. Oklahoma was terrible this year. USC was not. So, I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things is that not only do you have to get the high school kids, you have got to get the, the top, ta- I mean, I, look, I am not necessarily a fan of the transfer portal, but it's here to stay. And whether I like it or don't like it, you've got to hit it. I, I'm sensing a reluctance on Clemson's part to do that, and I think they're paying the price for it. All right, very interesting comments there. And But, I mean, I think it's, it's absolutely true that, you know, as successful as Dabo Sweeney has been, um, he got pretty defensive the last uh, few w- weeks, you know, talking about – you know, his, his, the quarterback situation, how he's done the transfer portal. Um, so there's, you know, there's a little bit of heat there and frustration. And, and you know, it, it, it kind of maybe eased a little bit uh, when in the ACC title and finally making that change that everybody else saw. I'm not sure what was going on in practice, but um, I mean, if they go to the Orange Bowl and, and lose to Tennessee, I think this is, you know, this is, one of those bowl games that I think is extremely important. Um, you know, we, we talk about bowl games like, oh, they're opting out. It doesn't matter who wins, whatever. You know, I think this is a really important game for Dabo Sweeney to kind of establish, you know, some solid footing on the program with Cade Klubnik coming uh, back. He's going to get, he's going to be the starter. Um, you know, Tennessee is going to be without Hendon Hooker. Their offensive coordinator is, has left. Um, you know, that this is not the Tennessee team that that was just lighting up opponents uh, earlier earlier in the year. This is this is a game I think Clemson has an opportunity to win. And if they lose to that Tennessee team, it, it might be a bit of a, a frustrating offseason, even with winning the ACC title. I couldn't agree more. And the, the, the example I would use for, for Clemson that reminds me of the last time Clemson went into a bowl game with a statement to make like this was back in 2013. And what was notable about that was that that is the only time in Ohio State history where the Buckeyes scored 35 points and failed to win the game. They were like 257-0-1. The one was against uh, San Diego State in the 70s. But I was going to say, they said, we need to make a statement. And, I mean, that, that, was, that was before Venables, I believe. So, I mean, it's, it's been a while since they went into a bowl game trying to make a statement. I feel like they need to make one here. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, a, 
that's a, that's a great point there. Um, you know, let's look at a, a couple of other ACC programs that have made coaching changes. Uh, what are your thoughts on the football hires at Georgia Tech and at Louisville? Georgia Tech. Um, okay, full disclosure: I went to Georgia State. This this is not what my comments are, are going to be about. Georgia Tech dropped the ball. Um, Brent Key again, great coach. I'm not disparaging him. You had Willie Fritz, and what I mean by you had Willie Fritz was he's done this for. Okay, um, as you say, Georgia Tech fans will recall that there was one Paul Johnson that coached at uh, Georgia Southern, and Brian Van Gorder came in there and decided, hey, I'm going to strap this triple option offense, and they were terrible, so much so where Paul Johnson said, get that coach on the schedule, I want to run one up. Okay, so we've all heard that story. That program was in shambles. Enter Willie Fritz. All of a sudden, Georgia Southern is Georgia Southern again, scoring points, running, I mean, Again, it didn't have to necessarily be the triple option. It had triple option components in there, but it was very, very modern offense. He did that. Georgia Southern turned around so much so Tulane hired him. Now look at Tulane. Tulane went to the AAC championship this year. They, they, they won it. And Georgia Tech, I feel like, dropped the ball. They had him signed, but they, they for, for some reason, they wanted him to go ahead and announce it. And Coach Fritz, being the professional that he is, said, no, it's not fair to the kids on my roster. I will prepare for this championship game, and then I'll give you an answer. And then Georgia Tech said, well, that's not good enough. We'll get Brent Key. And it's like, oh, yeah, because that worked out so well this year, didn't it? I mean, don't get me wrong. He's, he's, he's a fine coach. I believe um, George O'Leary wanted to tap him, so I can kind of understand, hey, George O'Leary was great at Georgia Tech. He was great at UCF. I could understand wanting to, to have that. But it's like Willie Fritz has done it before. Willie Fritz is going to get – you know, Metro Atlanta players excited to come to Metro Atlanta school or, you know, Metro Atlanta school, run this explosive offense, do all these things. Whereas now Brent Key is like, well, you know, what are they going to do? And I mean, I hate this one kind of hits home for me because it's like, hey, Jameer Gibbs, the, the, the star of this town. You ask anybody in Dalton, Georgia, and Jameer Gibbs, is, they'll, be, they'll be able to tell you all sorts about him. They had him on campus. He left. Ask yourself if he's running Willie Fritz's offense. I mean, you know, I realize it was a year apart, but it's like Jameer Gibbs. Those are the types of kids that you need to get in order to be successful. You need explosive off. You need something exciting. You need something that translates at the next level. And I feel like with Willie Fritz coming in, that was a missed opportunity. Um, like I say, Brent Key, I'm sure he'll he'll do a great job. He'll kind of be like George O'Leary in the sense that um, he wasn't the sexiest name out there, but all he did was win games, and I expect Key to do the same. But I was disappointed. They could have had Willie Fritz, and they didn't. Um, now, Louisville, <laughs> I don't have as much to say there other than, hey, great job, y'all. You know, all you did was get a guy that knows how to score points, knows how to make Louisville Louisville. Um, and, and, again, I think, I think the advantage you have there is that this is his dream job, Coach Brahms' dream job. I mean, it's it's – you know, I, 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 you know, like I say, my family lived in the Big Ten. I would never want to leave Big Ten country, but to leave Big Ten country for Louisville and a dream job, I mean, you know, this would be back to, you know, kind of where Petrino, Bobby Petrino had them the first time. Uh, you know, maybe you'll see them in a 10-1 and record every year and competing for the championship every year. But, I mean, if they don't do that, <laughs> it won't be for lack of coaching. All right, very interesting comments there. Um, and boy, did uh, did Louisville end up with the uh, 
the better of that exchange with Cincinnati. When I saw, I remember looking on Twitter that morning and seeing like Cincinnati just hired Scott Satterfield. What the heck? I was like, you just made, and, and it was funny. I was listening to a national radio show when they announced it and the, I'm going to, I'm going to leave this national radio guy kind of, uh, you know, leave, leave their name out of it. Cause I couldn't even believe the comment. And they were like, Oh wow. You know, Cincinnati just took Scott Satterfield away from Louisville and Jim Phillips really needs to look at how he's going to be able to manage ACC football going forward. When you lose a coach like that, and I'm thinking like lose a coach like that is the best thing ever happened to Louisville here in the last three years. They're thrilled to be rid of him. And then they get Jeff Brown, the whole thing like worked out in their favor. They got to be thrilled. I, I mean, I was really surprised Cincinnati went, went in that direction. Uh, Tuberville 2.0 is what I tell everybody, because that, that's exactly what it reminds me of. Tommy Tuberville was about to be fired at Texas Tech, and then, you know, he was, I want to say he was like at the banquet. He missed a banquet to go get announced as a coach, and that's how those players found out. And I was like, this reminds me very similar to that. I mean, and you can't tell me that Louisville wasn't having discussions about whether or not they're going to bring him back. Yeah, yeah. And, and as far as Brent Grant Key goes, I mean, I, I, there was some support definitely for, for Fritz there at Tulane, um, but in the end, Key gets gets the deal. And one thing that I am definitely happy about is, you know, after that ridiculous deal that Jeff Collins signed under, you know, the previous AD, Todd, Todd Stansberry, um, you know, what they, they signed with Brent Key was a lot more reasonable, you know, giving, given his uh, background it's it's a deal worth almost three million dollars a year, um, but to make staff additions, uh, there's it's a thirty percent increase over the previous staff. So a, a lot of success of you know what Brett Key can do is going to depend on his staff hire, and he right now he's still looking for an offensive coordinator um, to replace uh, Chip Chip Long, who was there this year. Uh, so I think he has he. You know, by doing that, he may have opened himself up to, to make a, a staff hire that could make a difference with that offense. But it's it's a shorter term deal than than Collins had. There's more money for assistance. And, and right there, you know, that's something I was was kind of glad to see after, you know, the, the deal that Collins signed, which was totally one sided uh, for Jeff Collins. Yeah, and like and like you said, that it, it shows me I, I was unaware of that, so I have to say that I, I think much higher Brent Key to say like that because like he gets it that none of us is as smart as all of us. So the fact that he got more money for assistance, I'm I'm already gonna give him a gold check for that one. Yeah, and well, well, you know, we'll just have to 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 see what he does. I thought you you know you brought up a lot of great points on you know Fritz's experience. You know, he was one of the candidates, and that's something that Key's gonna have to establish. And and the recruiting too. I mean, I think. Key definitely showed during the season that that you know he got his players to play hard. They were they played hard for him. He he was able to bring a, a level of fundamental play that we didn't see at all with Jeff Collins. But now he's got to go out there and 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 recruit. He I think he's won over the kids that were in the locker room. But now you got to go out and, and and get talent, hold the class together. You know, try to hit that transfer portal and and you know like. Like Dabo Sweeney, I think that's absolutely Brent Key's going to have to do that and, and try to get that roster back up at a level, um, you know, that can really compete in, in the ACC. So, you know, I think it was a a, a good hire, probably a, a safe hire. May, may not have been quite the home run that some Georgia Tech fans wanted, but um, 
I think it could have been a, a lot worse because, like you said, Terry, he, he's going to win some games. Now, how high his ceiling is is going to be the question. But, I mean, he's he's an absolute upgrade over Collins. Um, not not that I think that was – that's a pretty low bar, but <laughs> he, he will make him better than they have been. Okay, Jeff, that was pretty funny. I have to say, um, <laughs> you you couldn't, really, you couldn't. Yeah, it, it was hard. I know it was hard for you to keep your your sarcasm out, uh, your sarcasm out of there. I'm just kidding. Uh, but <laughs> now, so Terry, now you get to hear my my sarcasm a little bit, but then some positive talk. So, by all accounts, this wasn't that great of a season for Virginia Tech. I mean, it's perhaps the worst season since the early '90s. So, there's a lot of you know, I was incredibly, you know, some people would say that I was incredibly negative when I had Virginia Tech at six wins this year. Even, you know, we had these picks at our site, and I think I was probably the, the least least positive of any of our of any of our people that made ACC picks, and Virginia Tech went even below the floor that I mentioned. Now, a lot of that has to do with talent. The talent covered was bare. And there are so many roster needs I don't even know where to start. Where to start? But I'm wondering, how many new players do you expect for Virginia Tech next year? That's the first question I have for you. And the the other, you know, I I should say, I mean, literally before this podcast tonight. I mean, I think it was like maybe an hour before Virginia Tech flipped a a, a quarterback recruit from Nebraska. I mean, somebody who was an All American. So I was. That was a good sign. That was something good to hear. And they flipped a, a running back ca- commit from uh, from um, Richmond, a three star running back commit who was going to Appalachian State. And he and he's actually actually from Richmond, Virginia. And so this is the first time in a while that Virginia Tech's had. I mean, there are eleven players coming in from the state of Virginia and out of Virginia Tech, and and that really wasn't necessarily the case in the Justin Fuente area era, which seems weird to me that he kind of avoided the state of Virginia in recruiting. So I just give me your assessment of where the, where you think the Hokies are going, because there were a lot of things fixed Terry. The floor. Well, a couple of things. I mean, yeah, we will, this was not, I think what everybody was expecting. I, I expected better. Um, but I mean, going back through it, it's like, okay, the, the Miami game, you know, it was like in the fourth quarter of the Miami game that you could see that they were figuring things out. And then they did well against NC State, give up 12 points in the fourth quarter. And then they did well against Georgia Tech and then give up 12 points in the fourth quarter. Those are just things that young and inexperienced teams do. Um, that'll happen. Um, so, I mean, yes, I, I feel like, um, and, and like I say, this is not a, a criticism of Virginia Tech because as, as you um, noticed, I've already made it about Clemson too. You're going to have to hit the portal. Um and like I'm saying, I, I don't know that it's necessarily something that I would like because I've always been the stand your ground and fight. But bottom line is that that's here and, and that's the way. So it's one of those things is that, hey, not only do you have to sell your kids that are in your program on it, let's go sell the program to kids that are out there on it. And I feel like that's good for the kids in the sense that, hey, you know what, sometimes a change of scenery would do um, a world of good. I mean, anybody that's ever, uh, particularly in my industry, software development, it's like, Sometimes all you need is a, is, a, is a change of scenery or, you know, just a different environment or a different way. And then you find out, wow, you know what? I could really thrive. They did a great job of, of getting me someplace where I could be successful. So 
I feel like Virginia Tech needs to do that, but to be honest, I feel like every team in the country needs to do that. Uh, you know, you could even say that about Georgia um, because it's like, hey, we're, we're competing every year, and what happens is, you know, hey, you've got all these high, high, highly talented athletes. Nobody wants to sit on the bench. Um, you know, I never did, and I, I, could, I would never blame somebody else for doing it. So um, you're going to have to hit the portal. But, I mean, the example I keep going back, and um, Matthew, I'm sure you're familiar with this one, this year's Virginia Tech season reminded me a lot of 1992. Um, for those that don't know, Virginia Tech went 2-8-1 that year. I don't think they could buy a break. It's like, you name it, they'd lose like games at the last minute from what, from what I remember. Just Now, keep in mind, 1992, I was 17 years old, so I was basically reading this in the paper. So it's, it's not like I saw all the games because – that was when we had that joyous regional coverage that everybody loves so much. So I saw what I saw, but that was one team that I followed. I was like, hey, because I want to say they had a close game with Georgia Tech that they lost. And I just kept saying, hey, let's keep an eye on this team. You know, they lost a bunch of close ones to get better. The next year, as Matthew would be able to tell you, they went 9-3. and three. Um, You know, they're one of the top teams in the Big East, and they won the Independence Bowl. So if I'm Virginia Tech, if I'm, Brent, uh, if I'm um, Coach Pete, this is what I'm telling everybody saying, hey, you know what, we've been here before, and, you know, while it was 30 years ago, look at how it turned out. I, like Coach Beamer, am laying out the bricks for success, and we're going to go along with it that way. So that is the way I would approach it, say, hey, you know what, same thing happened in 92, look at where we are now as a program, you know, bad things happen, but as, you know, my college wrestling coach used to always say, it's always darkest before the dawn, and it's getting a lot brighter. I mean, I was happy to hear tonight about that QB flip. I mean, I was, you know, they Hokie started recruiting him right after the coaching change at Nebraska, and I think that that was that certainly certainly helped. And you know, I think you know, and from what I hear, they may not be done. So if they, if if they could close with a top thirty class, I think I. I think I'd be pretty happy with some of the some of the moves that they moves that they make, and I, I like the folk the, and you're absolutely right about the portal. You get better, you get better in a hurry in the portal if you make the right moves. I agree with you, Terry. I'm I'm extremely happy that they're making these connections in the state of Virginia because that's when Virginia Tech was really good. Yeah, wasn't it uh, the seven five seven area code? They, they were like always go there to get talent. 757804 yeah, you know Richmond area was was a big pipeline for Virginia Tech and they're starting you know they made an increased focus just on cultivating those relationships which I think weren't necessarily there under Fuente that's the first thing and the second thing is that they're making a a bigger push to uh connect with the football alumni too and you know, this is something I think that will help the Hokies pay dividends for future Yes, and like I said, that, I, I don't think we can stress that enough. Is it always the always recruit the kid, always recruit the kids locally. The the teams that are have the, that have had the most success over the years, Georgia, Clemson. Those are the types of things they're doing. You know, Florida's not doing it. Fair statement. Fair statement. So, Terry, give us your thoughts on the college football playoff field. 
Um, <laughs> I'm to be honest, I'm not happy with it. To be honest, I don't feel like Ohio State belongs, and I, I know. Okay, for for those in the audience that don't know, I used to work at Buckeye Wire, which is basically USA Today's Ohio State site. Uh, Phil Harrison runs it there. He does a great job. Um, those readers are going to be furious to me for saying that, but facts are facts. They got drop kicked in their own backyard. It was disgraceful. And, you know, people are like, well, Alabama and Tennessee got two losses. Okay, that's great. But, you know, one of the, you know, Alabama's losses were by combined, you know, six points. So if you multiply that times four, that's about, about how bad Ohio State was. Um, again, I, I almost feel like something's got to be done here because, you know, USC is the one that, that I think really should be smoking mad about the argument if there was going to be four because, yeah, they, they lost to Utah, but it's one of those that um, they lost because they played. Did Ohio State play anybody? So, and this is a proposal that uh, I think Matt uh, Zemick made a while ago, and it makes the most sense to me, is that if we're going to have the college football playoff like it is and we're going to have teams like that, you know, why didn't Alabama and Ohio State play? They, they, I mean – what else were they doing that week? Uh, so, I mean, that, that's what I would like to see. And, and we, you know, I'm actually going to say something good about COVID. Uh, but one of the things that COVID taught us is, that, hey, look, you don't need but three or four days to set up a game like that. Um, you know, it's always like, oh, it takes years. To, no, it doesn't. You know, it'll be like, uh, yeah, um, you know, maybe not the Georgia Dome, maybe. But, I mean, you can't tell me there's not somebody in the southeast that would say, hey, you know what, we're going we're gonna to play, you know, we're going to pick four or five sites and for teams that are on the cut line, we're going to arrange it to where they can play and they either get in or they don't, because I don't feel like it sends the right message to where Ohio state and Alabama were in a better position by not playing than USC was in by playing. And I mean, uh, you know, USC had already lost to Utah and I, I don't um, know how close everybody here follows the PAC 12 tiebreaker, but that was the perfect storm for that to have happened. I mean, it was uh, Oregon blew a huge lead. And I want to say Oregon State only completed like five or six passes. It was just something you wouldn't expect to happen. And be, But because of all the tiebreakers, you know, it was supposed to be USC and Oregon. USC would have handled Oregon easily. But instead, it ended up being Utah. So it's one of those is that just plain bad luck bites USC. They're out. Ohio State has equally bad luck, but somehow their bad luck was less bad luck than what USC had. So I feel like there's an opportunity there. Let's, you know, if there, if there are teams like that, let's get top some of the eight top 10 teams. If they're not playing, make them play. Because guess what? If Alabama goes out there and beats uh, Ohio State by 30, we have our answer as to who needs to be there. Outstanding take. That's an outstanding take. Some interesting thoughts here. Now we're going to go to our open microphone segment, Terry, and I'm going to ask you a question for my open mic, and then you can take your open mic. So be right. here's my question for you, Terry, on open microphone. We got two FCS uh, playoffs, the semi, the semi playoff games, I should say. The semis are coming up. In the first one, North Dakota State University is taking on Incarnate Ward. I'm actually going to go to that game in person on Saturday, if you can believe that. I didn't ex I didn't expect to be going to a game in person. And here we are, Incarnate Word, one on the road at Sacramento State. You know, so I'm going to that game in person in Fargo. I'm flying in. I'm going to be in the airport at 10 o'clock, and that game's probably around. 
at least, well, I should, what, I should, let me take, let me back up. If that's the first game on Saturday, I'm going. I don't think TV announcements TV announcement ha, announcements have been made yet. So let me qualify that. If that's the first if 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 that's the first game on Saturday, I'll be going to it. But I think it will be. Uh, and then in the second game, and this is really an intriguing game, right? Because I, I'll be I'll be clear with you, Matt. I am a homer for Brent Vegan. Brent Vegan was the former offensive coordinator at North Dakota State University. He was the quarterback coach there, then the offensive coordinator. Then he followed followed Craig Bull to Wyoming as his, his offensive coordinator. And I think he's really the most underrated college coach in the United States this year. I think that he has just done an amazing job at Montana State. And I... I'm that's the second game though. They're going to be playing the Jackrabbits. So you've got these three team, you know, three teams that are really tough in the trenches on on offensive and defense and I'm talking about North Dakota State, I'm talking about South Dakota State, I'm talking about Montana State. You've got three teams that are just really tough in the trenches on both sides of the ball. They all have I mean for the most part have pretty tough defense pretty tough defenses. And they like to run the football, three of those. And, of course, you've then you've got Incarnate Ward out there who's perhaps one of those teams that just loves offense, but you're not sure at whether they can save play defense to save their lives. So let's go to the first game, North Dakota State and Incarn- Incarnate Ward. Who do you got winning that game, Terry? Well, uh, I read an interesting you, – you're talking about ground games. I read an interesting stat, and I can't remember who shared it. They, they showed the top five teams in, FB, in uh, Division One, meaning FBS and FCS, top five ru- teams rushing the ball past two years. Three of them were the ones you mentioned. Yes. Say, uh, the, the only team that was uh, better than that was a triple option team. I think it was uh, – how do I come to me? It was one that, no, it was uh, Kennesaw State was the other one mentioned there, but it was like, well, yeah, they, they run triple options. It was like, um, particularly to, you know, to me, when it, when it comes to playoff time, you have to be able to run the football because if you can run the football, you can set up everything else. Um, now, Incarnate Word, like I say, G.J. Kinney is one of the best there is. I enjoyed watching him play quarterback. I think I enjoy watching him coach even more. Now, he'll be going off to Texas State. So my first question is, is it okay? How big of a distraction is that? Um, like, well, what a distraction they won. It's like, uh, they gave up 63 points and it looked like a Mac game. So, um, again, playing against, a, you know, Incarnate Word, like I said, I cannot say enough good things about uh, G.J. Kenny. I cannot say enough good things about Lindsey Scott Jr. Uh, if you really want to have some fun, go out here and look. Uh, just type in a Lindsey Scott Jr. touchdown. You can see in the playoff game against Furman, he threw a touchdown. He threw like a 25-yard touchdown pass. He was almost flat on his back. He just turned and hurled it, and I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, it's FCA. No, that's Furman. That's, <laughs> that's, not, a, that's not a team that's easy to score on. So, um, again, uh, I have no reason to bet against the champ, so I'm going to go with uh, North Dakota State in that one. I think it would be a fantastic game. Um, like I said, I, I got a lot of good things about it, Incarnate Word. I just feel like North Dakota State is that much better. And honestly, they're mad because guess what? They're not they're not the number one the team necessarily this time. They're not the favorite this time. Is uh, you know, they always taught us in wrestling. Hey, you know what? Sometimes it's good for the champ to get knocked down to the campus canvas because that's the only way the champ's going to get better. 
Okay, so let's look at the uh, at the at the second half and probably that really the the most intriguing game in that doubleheader, right? And probably I, I had this in my bracket all the way through. I thought Montana State and South Dakota State would be playing each other again, just like they did last year. I think that's going to be a hell of a game. Who do you got winning between the Bobcats and the Jackrabbits, Terry? The floor is yours, and I, I honestly think that that will be one of the best games of the college football season. I'm agreeing with you. I'm actually going to take the. Uh, I'm. I'm going to call an. I'm with you. I'm going to call an upset there too. And I say that because, um, the big sky just has not. I. I don't. And maybe they have, and it's just escaped memory. But to me, it's like that was such a great conference. I haven't seen them in a final in a while. Okay, you Sacramento State, you mentioned uh, Eastern Washington with that hideous red turf. You mentioned all these teams. These are, these are teams that you're used to seeing them in the final, and they're not. And it's one of those is that, you know, Montana, Montana and Montana State, two other great teams in there. To me, I, I feel like it, it's more the same. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, yeah, the, the Jackrabbits won the toughest conference in the country. I don't, I don't think there's any, you know, they beat the champ. They knocked the champ the canvas, so to speak. But it's one of those is that, okay, Montana State's hungry. Montana State has not done this before. Like you said, they have a powerful offense. I think it'll be a great game. I think in the end, they're just a little bit better. Um, like I said, and I'm not, I'm not knocking South Dakota State. We saw them. It wasn't this year. It was a year before um, when my middle son was, you know, learning how to play quarterback, and he went and saw the way they execute that, and he said, you know what? Uh, you know, the next day we went out in the yard. He wanted to be the quarterback, and he made his big brother be the tight end. He said, okay, let's throw that. I mean, and, and it was a Division One team. They be, I think it was Colorado State or, or something like that. They just beat the pants off them. They executed flawlessly. So I'm saying I've got good things to say about them. I just feel like in this case, Montana State's a little bit better. Give us your pick there in the final then because it should be fun. I mean, I almost – I joke when I say this with Jeff, but I think Montana State may, may have an even more of an NDSU offense than NDSU. <laughs> Right. I mean, it, it, it's one of those is that that'll certainly be something that I watch um, very carefully. Uh, and and you mentioned it, too. Uh, North Dakota State, you talk about the power running offenses. There are a lot of offensive line coaches that tweet a lot of the very different thing, like when they're teaching you how do, how do you block power, how do you block switch, how do you do these different things. And almost every time it's North Dakota State saying, here, watch them run power, see how the guard pulls, okay? This time they decided not to pull, so the fullback's going through and the guard's kicking out. I mean, it's for me, it's very hard. It, it'd be very hard as a defensive coordinator because there's too many things that you have to account for. You know, does the guard pull? Okay, well, if the guard pulls, then fine. My defensive end has to get inside the puller to make the play. Well, unless you don't have Aaron Donald, you know, if you have Aaron Donald, you can do whatever you want. But if you don't, hey, that's going to create some headaches. Um, I, I, I'm kind of with you on this one. It, I, I feel like... Montana State kind of has the advantage. After having coached at North Dakota State, you have a pretty good idea what they're going to do. But does North Dakota State know what Montana State's going to do? And again, I mean, I've never met – and we, we, we kind of talked about this with Coach Goodwin last year when he's saying what he should have said more humbly was, hey, yeah, we can do everything that, uh, you know, Coach Venables has done, but we'll have our own wrinkle, our own spin, our own things that we do. And I feel like that's what's going to give Montana State – so it's one of those is that – I realize I've picked this backwards. You know, I've got four going all the way through. I've got three going to five. I've got <laughs> one and two getting beat early. But to me, from what I've seen on the field, that's that's what um, that's what I expect to happen. Yeah. 
I I think I I really think that Brent Vegan will he'll finally get across the he'll get across the finish line this year. And I shouldn't say finally because he's only been at Montana State. This is his second year. It's just kind of amazing to me to see a turnaround like that of a program that didn't do that well the year before he was there and how. I mean, he used the transfer portal effectively. He recruited effectively. He can sell the fact that he can put players in the NFL because he has good success at that. And I think that he may be one of the most underrated. I think Brent Vegan, Terry, may be one of the most underrated coaches in America. Well, kind of makes you kind of makes you wonder if you're Brett Key. You're like, hey, I wonder how much it would take to get him down here. You know, in this state that produces more NFL players than any other. <laughs> yes. That, Jeff, would you like to have Brent Vegan come down to Georgia Tech? Well, that, yeah, I mean, I would not have a, have a problem with that at all. We'll see. We'll find out who the offensive coordinator is in the next uh, 24 to 48 hours is what some of the uh, message boards are saying. Yes, definitely, definitely. Terry, open microphone time for you, friend. The floor is yours. Okay. Well, I was going to say I don't I don't have a whole lot of th- – there are a couple of things that kind of disturbed me this week. One is I hope that we start regulating. Uh, and I know everybody's like, oh, yeah, man, you say you're a conservative politically. You don't like to regulate anything. Okay, I'm stepping in here and saying I want to see um, – recruiting regulated because I thought I read this week that high school kids are getting paid money by people to pick which school they're going to go to. That's going to end up very, very badly if it's not shut down. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I want the kids to get money, but I, I see this going down a road that uh, basically is just going to benefit certain people, but not the kids. And if it doesn't benefit the kids, I don't want any part of it. Okay, that's one. Second thing, Stanford, you're awesome. You made the best hire that people aren't going to pay attention to. Troy Taylor is one of the best offensive minds there are, and I, I mentioned that he was at he was at Utah, and you know kind of took Tyler Huntley to the next level. And but it, it goes so much further on that, like all the designs and all the plays and all that. He is exactly what Stanford needed. That I mean, don't get me wrong, Stanford was always fun to watch. They're big, physical, tough like they were under David Shaw, but what I'm saying is he'll make that team exciting. People will want to go there again. You'll have more Glenn, Glenn Milburns, Tommy Bardell, people like that. I'm excited to see what he can do out there. And, uh, you know, like I say, it'll be nice to have Stanford back in it. I feel like uh, college football is better when Stanford, Notre Dame, Miami, uh Pittsburgh, all your blue bloods, when they're doing well, college football is better. Let's hope that uh, some of the teams on that list follow suit. Very good, Terry. Jeff, I know you have a couple things to say about ACC basketball. I'd love to hear it, Jeff. Yeah, let's uh, let's start with the bad news first and end up on a high note. Um, you know, this was kind of a big weekend for the ACC trying to to build on the results of the ACC Big Ten Challenge that the ACC won. They try to keep the momentum going. And, you know, a, a couple of the ACC teams, you know, definitely fell flat in this area. Um, you know, you look at Wake Forest. 
uh, Wake Forest is starting to develop a disturbing tendency of blowing uh, games in the second half. I mean, this is this is a good basketball team. They won at Wisconsin, which is no easy task. And in one of the games that they were able to, um, you know, finish finish off an opponent. But you know, this weekend they have a twenty point lead against LSU in the first half and just fritter away that that game in the second half, which would have been a, a quality uh, win for them. End up losing by by two. Uh, they had a, a seven or eight point second half lead against Loyola um, uh, Marymount, I think it was. Uh, lost that game in overtime. Uh, went on the road to play at Clemson, uh, led by I think seven or eight at the half. Lost that game by twenty. Um, something's going on there with Wake Forest and their inability to to hold on to leads in the second half. So that was that was the first disappointment. We found out uh, Notre Dame is just clearly not a good basketball team. Uh, they got the win over Michigan State a couple weeks ago, but that was a depleted uh, Michigan State team, and we thought that Notre Dame might be able to, you know, still use that to kind of build some momentum for themselves. But they followed up with a home loss to Syracuse, and then today against a a strong uh, Marquette team, uh, they didn't even look competitive in the second half. Uh, I'm about to close the book on on the Irish as as a, you know, getting back to the to the NCAA tournament. They, they just they're not athletic enough defensively to slow teams with with decent offenses, uh, and then and then Clemson, uh, we've talked about them in football wise, but um, this is why Brownell, Brad Brownell cannot get off the hot seat there at Clemson. Um, they built up some momentum over the last couple of weeks, you know, beating a nice Penn, uh, a, a pretty good Penn State team. Uh, they come back beat Wake Forest at home, and then beat a Townsend team in an underrated win. That's a quality basketball team there that's probably going to be in the ACC's tournament or in the NCAA tournament or at the very least in the NIT. And then they go on the – well, it was a neutral site game in Atlanta, and they played a 4-5 and five Loyola Chicago. This is not the, 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 the Final Four version of Loyola Chicago, and they get manhandled. It was an absolute disgraceful def- – performance by Clemson in this game. Uh, they had no game plan on either end of the the court, and, and Brad Brunel looked absolutely, you know, beside himself on having his team not prepared for this game. And this is the kind of loss that basically gives back all of their, their gains over the past two weeks. It, it was the equivalent of losing probably two or three ACC games. So Clemson goes from the fringes of the, of the, of the NCAA tournament you know, as a bubble team, you already can start thinking about that to square one with a loss like that. Very, very bad loss for Clemson. Um, you know, that that's the that's the bad news. But we're going to talk about your Hokies here for a second, Matthew. Uh, really impressed with how they played against Oklahoma State today. This is a rugged uh, Oklahoma State team. You know, one of those physical Big 12 basketball teams you know they're not an elite team you know we're not going to say that the cowboys were an elite team they don't shoot the ball very well but you know they were picked in the middle of the pack in the big 12 uh so you know that's an ncaa caliber team and you know despite justin mutz getting into foul trouble with some uh, questionable calls i would say and having that's to mild, sit, you know for, by the way <laughs> yeah there, there were some questionable calls there in the second second half there but you know, Virginia Tech, you know, got into a fist fight of a game and, you know, had, had a big first half lead. Oklahoma State actually takes the lead in the second half. And, and Virginia Tech answered the, 
answered the bell. Um, you know, they were they they were getting out rebounded by uh, Oklahoma State, but but locked down on the defensive end. Um, got their half court offense squared away the last five minutes, knocked down some some big shots, and you know came away with a really quality out of conference win on a neutral court that I think is going to pay dividends later on in the year. I mean, absolutely, Virginia Tech has separated from that kind of muddled middle of the pack ACC, and I mean, you got to put them right up there with with uh, Virginia and Duke in the upper echelon of the ACC. You know they're not going to play very many teams as physical as Oklahoma State in the ACC. You know this ACC is just not a physical uh, league. I mean, there's talent, there's some really good teams, but there's just not a lot of physical teams. So for for Virginia Tech to to really have faced a lot of face a lot of adversity uh, in that in that second half and come out with a win, um, their only loss being you know now to a rapidly rising uh, College of Charleston team by two uh, two points. Um, you know, I, th- I think you got to feel pretty good about where the Hokies are right now, Matthew. I think you should feel good. I mean, they're clearly one of the, the, the teams in the ACC that you can count on game in and game out. I mean, you look at Duke, you feel comfortable with where their young talent is starting to play well. Uh, Jeremy Roach leading leading that team. You know, they just got to be able to shoot the ball a little better, but they're coming up. We know what Virginia's about. Miami can score with anyone with Isaiah Wong and that, that backcourt. I mean, I feel like if you're down, if you're playing Miami and you're up 12, it's like being up four against most teams. Um, You know, they get themselves right defensively and they can be very, very good. And then they are, you know, they are a strong team that can score. And I think Virginia is right up there with them. Those are the four teams in the ACC that you can trust, you know, to put out consistent effort each game. Jeff and Terry, I, I never thought I would say this in my lifetime, but would you expect anything less from the defending ACC champions. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought I would say that. Uh, Jeff, I'll ask you one follow-up. How are you feeling about Clemson's game on the road at Richmond on Saturday, December 17th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time? This is the Richmond team that plays that motion offense that – can cause some significant problems if you don't play it all the time. They're so disciplined on offense. If Brad Brownell loses that game, what are the Clemson faithful going to be thinking of his tenure? Um, I, I think they're going to be ready for it to the end. Uh, it was it was pretty much a meltdown after the game on Saturday, and um, you know th- this is a a game with Richmond that you know it's not going to be at Little John there in Clemson. But it, it's going to be, you know, should be a pretty partisan Clemson crowd. Uh, they're playing in Greenville, South Carolina, which is yeah, here sorry, in my neck of the woods. I actually, for, I, sorry, I didn't mean to say that it was in Richmond, but against Richmond. Sorry about that. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, right here in my neck of the, the, the woods, I'm like 10 minutes, 15 minutes from there. And I'll probably head down and, and, and see if Brownell can get the ship righted. But, yeah, if they lose to Richmond, um, I, don't, I don't think he can recover from that. Uh, because th- there's just, you know, you're basically put in a position where you're going to have to probably knock off Virginia Tech, Miami, Virginia, or Duke. Like in some combination, you're going to have to win two or three games against those to make up for, you know, the Loyola Chicago loss and a Richmond loss. So, uh, and I don't, I don't think they're they're quite they're going to be equipped to do that. So if they lose to Richmond, uh, I, I think. 
that's that's the end of the road. They're not going to make the NCAA Richmond's tournament. It's not an yeah. easy team to play, too. I mean, if you play that that motion offense that they have there, that's really a difficult offense to play. I mean, I I I mean, I joke when I say this, Harry and Jeff, but I I can't remember the last time Virginia Tech played Richmond. I think it's been decades. And I think there's a reason for that. God, that's terrible of me to say. I'm sorry. But, you know, kudos to Clemson for playing that because it's a difficult – It's a diff, if you don't play offenses like that all the time, you know what I mean, frequently, it's a difficult It's a difficult circumstance to come under it on a one-time shot. So, you know, I'll be – I'll be I'll be watching that game. I'll be try I'll be watching that game. I, I'm sure it'll be televised somewhere, you know. But I'll be in Fargo, so I'll be che- I'll be checking that checking that out afterwards. So, Terry, thank you so much for joining us on the All Sports Discussion ACC podcast. We love to have you come on this show, and we would love to have you come back on anytime you want to want to come on this show that you know you've provided great knowledge with with us over the years you've been a great friend of the podcast and of the blog and we love we would love to have you come back anytime thanks so much for coming on thank you for having me and i'll just say that if you want me to have to discuss the motion offense yes that's one of my favorites as well i even run it with my 10 year olds outstanding outstanding All right, guys. Well, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Have a great time. Have a great time. Have a great, great, great season with your, your in time with your family, Terry. Yes, sir. God bless you both. I hope you have a great uh, holiday season. All right. Take care. Take care, guys.